THN is brought to you by the Eisner-nominated Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. This is Luke Tiberius Myers, and you're listening to the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Cast with Joe and Matt. Have fun reading comics. I love you. Sort of break it, break it down like this. Welcome to episode 140 of THN. We're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, November 20th. My name is Matt Baum. You can find me on the Twitter under the handle at Matt Baumstein. And when I'm not having all my powers stripped from me and operating as a nerd podcaster in name only, I am writing the Comic Speculator blog for WorkPoint.com. And I'm Joe Patrick. You can find me at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not calling emergency meetings with our board of directors to strip Matt of his powers after his recent public drunken behavior... And allegations of crack smoking. Dude's nickname is Crack Pipe. It's true. I'm the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and the artist slash co-creator of the upcoming hit webcomic, I guess. It's the happening. Untold Tales of the Two-Headed Nerd. Still haven't seen a script. It's, it's going to happen this This is, weekend. I believe, a month now. It's going to happen this weekend. Four I, four episodes on... Four mentions on four episodes. I Still re- haven't seen a script. I keep reworking it. I'm Stop freaking out. Stop reworking it. In this week's episode, you'll hear our reviews of A Voice in the Dark. Number one, and Harley Quinn. Number zero. After that, we'll review ten of this week's comics faster than the jury that acquitted George Zimmerman can travel back in time to change their minds during the ludicrous speed round. Then... We'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where Willow Rosenberg has tuned into a presidential ghost that will give us a skinny on next week's comics. And finally, with the approaching 50th anniversary of the Beatles' U.S. debut, it only seemed fitting for us to review the fifth Beatle for this month's Take a Look. It's in a book, but before we start randomly punching out strangers, that's a thing that kids are doing. It's a game called Knockout kind of love it. <laughs> Aren't they killing people? Nah, they're just punching them. Let's take a moment to wish Doctor Who a happy 50th birthday. I'm pretty sure some of them died. Nobody gets, nobody gets killed from getting punched once. Sometimes people's heads hit the ground and then they die. Ah, but punching mm, typically doesn't right. kill anyone. I wonder what a jury would say. Let's take a moment to wish Doctor Who a happy 50th birthday, which made its BBC debut today, November 23rd, back in 1963, and then We'll talk about this week's big news. Marvel has announced their free comic book day offering for next year, and it predictably will feature Spider-Man and the Guardians of the Galaxy. With both franchises in feature films next year, it makes sense for Marvel to set up big storylines in their respective titles. The Guardians lead story will debut all new team members, Captain Marvel and Venom by Brian Michael Bendis and Nick Bradshaw. The Spidey backup by Dan Slott and Giuseppe Camincoli, quote, lays the foundation for 2014's top secret Spider-Man event, an all-new story that will rock the wall crawler's world to its core, Matt Bomb, is the end of Superior Spider-Man coming? Yeah, I mean, what else is it? <laughs> what else is it? Is somebody else going to jump into Spider-Man's body now? I mean, like... It's got to be the return of Peter Parker. I don't know what else it possibly could it's be. It's top secret, you guys. Uh, so of course. No, but that they have said uh, they have used similar inflammatory link, not inflammatory, but you know, inflammatory uh, <laughs> terms to uh, racial about, epithets uh, to talk to ta- about <laughs> to talk about other storylines that have ended up being nothing really. Uh, I suppose this is true, but I mean, come on, that, it's gonna I mean, rock it, the, the wall movie, crawler. The movie's coming out to his core. The movie's yeah. coming out. It's top secret. What else could it possibly be? And I think it's time. It is time. I think definitely by next year, it's time. It's time. Not that I have not loved Superior Spider-Man, but uh, I mean, yeah. 
this is a good long run for this story. And definitely. It, and I think if they have a danger of dragging it on a little too long. No, definitely. I agree. Uh, as for the Guardian stuff, I think it's kind of interesting that Venom is joining the Guardians of the I Galaxy. I have never cared for Spider-Man in space. I've always thought it seemed kind of silly. The only thing that I care less about is Venom in space. But this is the Flash Thompson like, I know. soldier Venom. I don't care. And he is an alien. Uh, well, Venom is, I guess. Yeah. And maybe that makes a little more sense. And maybe he can breathe in outer space in his suit. I don't know. I just don't really care. I've always wished there was more of is more background on the symbiote. And maybe that's what we're going to get. Like, I know that they did do, they did a terrible storyline in the 90s, Planet of the Symbiotes or whatever. But I I would like a little bit more of the alien side of Venom, not just like gooey monster. No, that could be cool. You know, I hadn't thought of it like that. And that could be cool. I suppose if they go that direction, Marvel's had a lot of trouble figuring out what they want to do with Venom. He's been all over the place. Yeah, I mean, we, I stopped, I think we both stopped reading his title. Yeah. And every time I checked back in for whatever reason, Something it's like completely different. He's possessed by a demon. Yeah. He's got a pentagram on his he's chest. He's a thunderbolt. I mean, like, he was I, all over the place. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I trust Bendis to kind of strip the character down to what makes him cool. And maybe that this is version of that character. Being an alien. So we'll see. In other Marvel news, the House of Ideas has announced an all new Marvel now relaunch for Moon Knight, courtesy of the all star creative team of Warren Ellis, Declan Shavely, Shalvey, <laughs> and Jordi Belair. Ellis will move Moon Knight back to New York for this new series, which the writer promises will draw upon everything that came before, including the multiple personalities, ugh, the character's time, the Secret Avengers, and his contentious relationship with. Konshu. Konshu. <laughs> God of the moon. In an interview with Hero Complex, Ellis said, quote, his cape is actually a crescent moon and he goes out only at night and dresses in reflective white so you can see him coming. Now, that's nuts. I like that. The best Moon Knight stories for me were always ground level, but weird crime. Weird crime has kind of been the touchstone for me for this revival. The new series launches in March next year. Joe, are you excited for another Moon Knight revival? You know, I wasn't until I read Warren Ellis. I love Moon Knight. I love Moon Knight too, but He's, every time they relaunch, I'm just like, Ugh, whatever. No, I agree. And I think he is the victim of too many relaunches. Right. But this, like Warren Ellis, I think is a guy you can trust to have a really interesting yeah. take. And gritty, weird crime. That's a really cool place. That's where Moon Knight should be. I don't need to see Moon Knight as the Secret Avenger. I don't really need to see him, you know, with Captain America, Wolverine, and Spider-Man in his head, which was clever, but I want crazy Moon Knight fighting crazy criminals. Sure, and, you know, this might be the unpopular opinion, but I'm fine with him being kind of crazy, like a little little spun. But not... But I don't like the multiple personalities. I don't care for it either. I don't need him to have different personalities yeah i don't really care for that either you've got to be crazy enough to dress in white and fight crime i think it's fine if they're there but he has them in check i i don't need another deadpool running around yes. like a serious deadpool rambling like, to himself for me, for you know? me like i want this to be i mean moon knight let's be honest with each other is the marvel version of batman yeah he's marvel's knockoff batman. and this is the chance for people to really do the the crazy Batman stories. Yes. Like, Batman is obviously insane, but they'll never write him that way because he's an icon. Right. Well, write Moon Knight that way. I, I agree. And, like, the promo art, I don't know if you saw it. Declan Shalvey's art... He's so good. It's amazing. He's so good. And the art that they showed had Moon Knight, like, in his mask, but in, like, a white 
three-piece suit. He looked like a mob boss, kind of. Cool. I mean, it looked awesome. And I don't know what was going on in that because it didn't have any dialogue, but I am into a Warren Ellis weird spun-off take on Moon Knight. I am too. Moving to Hollywood, Badass Digest has reported that AMC... I'm sorry, what is Badass Digest? It's a website. <laughs> it's actually... It's, it's, it's a kick-ass name. It's a stupid... I mean, yeah, it's a silly name, but apparently they're very well regarded. I like the name. Well, Badass Digest has reported that AMC has ordered a pilot episode of Preacher, the legendary Vertigo series that has been in development hell for the last decade. Coincidentally... Actor Seth Rogen sent out some preacher-related tweets saying, quote, looks like about seven years of hard work are about to pay off. I may get to bring one of my favorite stories ever to life. Preacher, of course, is the story of Texas preacher Jesse Custer and his literal search for God alongside his hit woman girlfriend Tulip and an Irish vampire named Cassidy. No other details have been announced. This has been a long, a long road for Preacher. It has been, and this sounds like it's going to end up exactly where it should be. You know, I, I think people would say their, their argument will be it needs to be on HBO or Showtime where they can cuss and whatever. I would argue, I mean, looking at what the AMC has done with Walking Dead, yeah. there's the only thing they really can't drop the F-bomb right. and show full-on boobs and wieners. <laughs> and know, there, wasn't like, an, a, there wasn't a ton of that in Preacher. No, not really. I mean, Cassidy dropped the F-bomb like it was his job. Sure, sure. I but, I mean, there, it didn't have excessive nudity. No, no, no. And I think that, and we know that AMC can do gore, right. so it doesn't, like... Yeah, and I think it's just a story like this that is this big. I never wanted to see a Preacher movie. No, 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 I no. I never wanted to it see It needs that. to be serialized. I like that they can flesh this out. I hope they go to get Garth Ennis. My thinking on the Seth Rogen thing is that he is producing it. I think Seth Rogen's a pretty smart yeah, guy. Yeah, I think this is just about him trying yeah. to get it made, not actually be in it. I think he will. And be if the, he's in it, he'll it'll be a, in a, some right. sort of minor. He's not going to be your. He won't Jesse. be Jesse Custer. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but I think that if it's legit, if this is real, then this is a good thing because, yeah, like you fit. said, great fit. You know, the last little bit of news was, you know, preacher option for a movie. And you don't want that. You no. can't tell the story of Preacher in a two-hour movie. No. You can't tell it in three two-hour movies. Yeah, the weight of the end of the book is not going to work in that format, right. period. We need to... I, I, I'm talking like four or five seasons and then maybe a TV movie with the big ending. You know? Sure. My guess is they're going to work with Garth Ennis. I mean, that was their... That was the recipe for their success with Walking Dead, was staying so close to Robert Kirkman right. and his vision of what it should be. Right. I would find it hard to believe that they're going to stray from that. I would hope. I would hope. And I my my hope is that AMC has learned its lesson right. from The Walking Dead and that if it ain't broke, you don't fix it. Yeah. Finally, Variety has reported that Pearl Street Films, the production company of Ben Affleck and Matt Damon, has signed on to produce a film adaptation of Sleeper, the Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips super-powered espionage series from Wildstorm. Sleeper told the story of Holden Carver, a super-powered secret agent deep undercover in the criminal underground, when the only man that knows his secret is shot, Holden is left out in the cold. Sound like anything else to you? The Departed? <laughs> This came out years before The Departed. I know, but actually, the Japanese movie The Departed is based on came out right around the same time. I'm not blaming Ed Brubaker for that. Holden is left out in the cold, trapped in the world he was trying to destroy. Interesting side note, Ed Brubaker was just on How Did This Get Made? They watched and reviewed Daredevil. It yeah. was wonderful. <laughs> and they asked Ed Brubaker what he's doing next. And he's like, oh, a really huge Hollywood project that uh, 
I can't talk about on the show. <laughs> and they're all like, what? <laughs> and it was totally this. <laughs> like, so Ed Brubaker is right there helping produce this. I hope this is, I hope this works out. This is going to be awesome. I trust these two dudes to make a good movie, to know a good project when they see it. Yes. I think that they're dorks and that they recognize that Sleeper is amazing and that this is going to be a faithful interpretation. And if Brubaker is not right there involved, then it'll be a crying shame. Right. But if what you say is true, he's definitely in it. And I think Sleeper is a great story to be adapted. Check this out. I'm waiting. Infernal Affairs is the movie The Departed was based on yeah 2002 okay sleeper 2004 Ooh. I, look i don't think i've uncovered anything i'm not calling plagiarism well i'm just saying spies left out in the cold is not an original story no but i mean like the story of where like either. nobody knows that you're the undercover guy except for one person and that guy gets killed and you're stuck undercover <laughs> like that's isn't that donnie brasco no not necessarily isn't that the story i mean like brasco? people knew that he was super deep cover but he like kind of went over to the other side oh i yeah. haven't seen donnie brasco yeah. okay well there you go i was just guessing he dies in the end <laughs> son of a bitch <laughs> uh real quick wild storm note for you matt I'm, I hate to break it to you, but DC canceled Stormwatch, which means the last vestige of the Wildstorm universe. The good news is the Stormwatch that died this week didn't even <laughs> resemble the Stormwatch that I loved. So, you know, I won't be attending that funeral. That's the big news for this week. If you want to discuss these stories or anything you think we missed, hit us up at our Facebook page, where Joe and I have written a beautiful eulogy to the last of the Wildstorm titles, finally plucked and freed from the DC New 52. Every Friday, sexiest man alive, runner-up Joe Patrick posts the question of the week. What, I didn't win? No, I'm afraid of Adam Levine. That skinny little dork from The Voice in the Maroon 5 took the title. You believe that? What? Yeah. Yeah. And rumor is, that dude can't throw it all. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Joe Patrick posts a question of the week on the THN web forum, which you can find by clicking the link at twoheadednerd.com. Joe, what did we ask the listeners this week? This week's question, what non-superhero comic would you like to see adapted for film or television? There's a billion of them. So we should have I don't want to hear about your ideas answers. for Marvel TV shows. No, 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 no. Not what we want. And a non-superhero work. That doesn't mean it can't have superpowers. Fair enough. But no capes and tights. No capes and tights. Something like Preacher or Sleeper. There's a billion answers <laughs> here. I want a billion answers from you guys. Now you can call us and leave us a message with your answer using Skype. It works. Sometimes. 10% of the time. <laughs> One percent of the time, the Skype handle is Two Headed Nerd, all one word. Or you can call the Ziggurat Hotline four zero two eight one nine four eight nine four. It's a red phone, like on Commissioner Gordon's yeah, yeah. desk. Yeah, and it has it, it lights up. There's just one big light up button. <laughs> yeah, it's like for incoming calls only. That's right. Now you got to keep that under three minutes, or Google will cut you off. It is a fickle bitch. I'll tell you what. Now, if you need more time than that. Head to the THN web forums and write to your heart's content. Right. Give us a script treatment. That's what we want at the THN web forums. I want your idea and then a treatment. I don't know the difference. Awesome. I don't know what a treatment is. You know, like a, a brief little like picture this. A pitch. Yeah, a pitch. Yeah. You know. Yeah. 
It's review time on THN where Joe and I scoop the giblets out of two of this week's new comics and then roast them to a golden brown before a chowing down. That rhymed. Joe, how was your Thanksgiving comic book meal? I was going to make a joke about you rhyming down with down, but I, it's two different words. Brown and down. <laughs> brown, brown and down. Down and brown town. Down and Brown. <laughs> title of this week's episode. That's the name of my autobiography, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Getting down in the brown. Oh, the story of boy. Matt Bomb. <laughs> my review this week is of Harley Quinn number zero from DC Comics, written by Amanda Connor and Jimmy Palmiata. The newly married. Newly married. Mazel tov. Amanda Connor and Jimmy Palmiata. With art by lots of guys. 17 people. Guys and lady guys. And how a big greasy dude like Palmiati pulled that. I don't know, man. He must have a seriously winning, like, sense of humor. He's a, yeah, he's a nice guy. No, he's a sweet guy. You're good looking, Jim. You know, he's a good looking <laughs> you guy. You big palooka. Here's the solicit. This bombastic debut issue features art by award-winning illustrators, including Darwin Cook, Sam Keith, Tony Daniel, Paul Pope, Walt Simonson, Art Baltazar, and others. But will any of them measure up to the exacting standards of the clown princess of crime? Don't miss the thrilling return of Harley Quinn in her own monthly series. Let's get a couple things straight right off the bat. If Paul Pope did anything for this issue, it didn't make it into the final product. Shit from Paul Pope. There's no Paul Pope art in this issue. I didn't think so. Two. I think it's safe to say that Matt and I were completely uninterested in the launch of a new Harley Quinn solo title. True. The New 52 version of the character made famous by Paul Dini and Bruce Timm in Batman the Animated Series is a weak reflection of her former self. Agreed. Fortunately, Connor and Palmiotti prove that they really understand the appeal of the character and, along with a host of artist buddies, deliver a really solid, fun read. Harley Quinn Zero breaks the fourth wall right from the cover. Big time. And Palmiotti and Connor keep an irreverent slapsticky tone throughout the issue as Harley auditions artists for her new series. The story itself is sheer nonsense, but it doesn't matter. There are a couple of fun, self-deprecating jabs at DC, and some of the artists on the book, for example, Jim Lee, quote-unquote, couldn't be bothered to draw an original page, <laughs> and uses a reprint instead, and Harley, Connor, and Palmiotti call him out on it. It was hilarious, It was very too. funny. It was really funny. Visually, this issue is a treat, and it's really the, the draw of this issue. 17 artists contribute pages to the book, including Becky Cloonan, Charlie Adler, Darwin Cook, Trad Moore, Sam Keith, Bruce Tim, Adam Hughes, Walt Simonson, Art Baltazar, and Connor herself. Each page strikes a completely different tone as Harley cycles from genre to genre. Even the controversial tryout page proves to be pretty funny once given the proper context. Yeah. They did remove the bit about her dropping appliances into the tub. Because that was what everybody had a problem with. It was like Because it said, Harley naked in the bath. Right. And that's what everybody jumped on. Well, who cares? But it made sense. They took it out. Now, had DC had half a brain, they would have been like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Trust me. When you see this, it's going to be funny and it's going to make sense. It's not just sexist bull. DC should have come out and said right away. No, it's because they're talking about the Suicide Squad. Yeah. And the artist is showing her committing suicide in four different right. comical and ways. Right. And it's funny. You know, like, right. it's dear not making... DC, if you need a PR guy, yeah. I'm totally available. The problem is that they just didn't say that. God. They just let people They just let people go on their tirades and then they just removed it. Yeah. They're like, everybody's mad at us. Yeah. <laughs> like, explain it. But like I said, in the proper context, I actually thought it was funny. Chad Harden, the series' new ongoing artist, handles the final two pages, which set up a new status quo for Harley, 
and leads into the proper first issue pretty nicely. And he's good. He's, he's good. Really good. Yep. I still can't say that I care about Harley Quinn, but I thought this was a lot of fun and it made huge strides to dial back what the new 52 did to the character. She's DC's Deadpool. Totally. And trying to take her seriously or over-sexualize her does a disservice to the character. I don't know if I'll keep reading once the series assumes a more traditional comic tone, but I thought this issue was pretty great. I'm giving it a buy it. Uh, I'm with you. I'm with you 100%. I really don't care about Harley Quinn. I honestly am probably not going to read the regular series. This issue was so much fun, just in the way that it was handled by Palmiotti and Connor. I, I agree with everything you said, and I think if they're smart at all, they will make Harley DC's Deadpool. I'll tell you what this... That's how they win right. with this character. I'll tell you what this book did do. It it won them an automatic tryout of the first issue or two yeah. from me. Yeah. I will definitely read them. No, it's, it's a success. Yeah. Definitely. Matt, tell me about A Voice in the Dark. Well, it was from Image Comics, and it came out this week. It is written, drawn, and lettered by Laramie Taylor. The man is a triple threat. Triple threat. Triple threat. This is the story of Zoe Ahrens, a biracial girl going to college as a freshman far from home. Oh, and she recently murdered a teenage girl back home. The story starts with an interesting hook. Zoe writing in her diary. No big deal. Dear diary, it's been 72 days since I killed someone. And from there, it dives straight into her psyche. We follow Zoe, who I'm going to compare the main character on Showtime's Dexter until you're all sick of it. But you'll see why. As Zoe tries to adjust to college life, all the while having brief flashbacks to her first murder and constantly referring to the darkness inside her, which makes her have waking fantasies about killing people around her, like Dexter. Zoe, like Dexter, seems to have serious issues dealing with people and shows all the signs of the conflicted psychopath trope we've come to know from Dexter. (laughs) She comes off as an extreme Osberger's case with homicidal tendencies. And while she's not badly written, her, her internal dialogue got a little heavy-handed for me, especially if, writer, if the writer, Taylor, is trying to sell Zoe as this emotionless psychopath who has a lot of trouble fitting into human society. She doesn't seem to be an, emotional, an emotionless psychopath because we know that she loves her little sister. She loves her little sister so much so, she murdered a girl for her. And she's very conflicted about it. Yeah. So that doesn't strike me as like, you know, the great white shark psychopath walking amongst us that could murder any yeah, time. The, the whole book, the whole story is about how she killed somebody and now can't get over it. Yeah. And yet they're trying to paint her as this... And she desperately wants to kill again. She's having these fantasies. Yeah. But she's trying to fit in and be normal. Again, not poorly written, but a little heavy handed. We don't know the details of this first murder, but we are told, like I said, she killed a girl that broke her adopted sister's heart. By the way, her adopted sister's name is Seven, which I don't get that at all. And it seems like she got away with this murder scot-free. The writer, Taylor, obviously plans on revealing more about the murder in later issues, and the half flashbacks here referring to it got a little annoying, because it's sort of like, you know, that thing that I'm not going to tell you about that happened recently that you will definitely learn about later is really affecting me, (laughs) you know, like, over and over and over again. It was forced, but again, not terrible. Also, like Dexter, Zoe happens to be related to a homicide detective. This time, it's her uncle who lives in the same college town where there also just happens to be another serial killer on the loose. 
Zoe decides she wants to host a nightly call-in show at the college radio station, what seems to be a way for her to connect to other people's dark side. But on her first night, she gets a call that she wasn't prepared for. Taylor does a really solid job writing a believable main character without going for easy token references that make her race a major part of the story, and her dialogue is very believable. I just thought there were some pacing issues that slowed this book to a near crawl. I like the character study aspect here, but there's just enough heavy-handed plot devices, uncle detective, other serial killer, badly done flashbacks, <laughs> you know, that make this feel really ineffective. Taylor isn't a bad artist, but his art is certainly not the star of this book, and doing it in black and white certainly didn't bring any more excitement to the story. There's promise here. There, this is an interesting story, but I sure felt like it was Dexter if he was a little girl, and I was bored as hell reading this. I am giving it a skim it, because dude is obviously a talented writer. He did a good job. I think he just needs to focus his ideas more. I'm giving it a skim it as well, but for different reasons. I, I struggled with this book a lot. Uh, I, I did find it boring. It was long. Very long. Um, now, if you read the back matter, you will learn a little bit more about it. Uh, this, this book, it, this issue and the next issue were actually originally published as mini-comics. So this number, this exercise number one is actually two different comics spliced together. And I think it would have benefited from a chapter break. Yeah, I think so too. Because uh, as it was presented, it was just one long story. Yeah. Now, you could say, for your value, you got 38 it's pages a lot of story pa here. Yeah, it's a lot of pages for sure. It's just presented in a way that I think detracts from the story Laramie's trying to tell. Yeah. As far as the uh, story itself goes, I found it extremely heavy-handed. Totally. Not just a little. Well, see, like, that was extremely heavy-handed. That was the issue. It's like the writing, the dialogue is really good. Yes. But the story, it just... The, the it was character's so... voices, the dialogue is very well-written. Yeah. It's, there's no better word for it. The story was just heavy-handed. While I thought that the dialogue was well-written, I also found that it was... How should I say this? People don't talk like this. Well, I think that's what, you know, even on TV, like you've got characters having internal soliloquies. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, it, it, the way they're talking to each other, I, I just. It was sort of like a dark Gilmore Girls. You, yes. <laughs> you know right, what I mean? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Where it's Where, like, like, I'm going to say something so fast. So it's going to be a completely intelligent. And you're not going to believe what's coming. In. Oh yeah. Or, well, I have the perfect witty resort for that. <laughs> you know, you like, know, I had the same problem Whoa. with Dawson's Creek. <laughs> yeah. Dawson's Creek in the nineties where you've got these college age kids that are having conversations that no college age kids in real life would ever have. Right. It's my, that's the same not problem. Not poorly written. No, just poor decision. making. The same problem with Kevin Smith. <laughs> yeah. And so I struggled with it. I thought his art was good. I thought it was uh, definitely photo referenced, but not yeah. in a Tracy kind of way. No, 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 not at all. Just like you can tell that a lot of these characters are based on real people, especially the way he's doing poses. And something interesting that I learned in the back matter, which you did not touch on, is that Laramie Taylor is disabled. He writes, draws, and letters the book with uh, his mouth. Great. Now I sound like a an asshole well, no, listen. he's not he's not picking on handicap dude he's not free from criticism no the book is heavy-handed the art is is 
shows a lot of promise, but it's not outstanding. No. It, it is what it is, and it's fine but for a story. But as like. an achievement, to be able to do this... That's incredible. ...is an amazing achievement. Yeah, that's incredible. And it gets a skimmer from me just on those merits. I didn't know that, and that... Yeah, that is very impressive. And it's so not only is it an impressive achievement, it's also it's also actually fairly well it's fairly well done yeah and dude obviously put a ton of work into this right i'm not going to change my tune on the review after hearing no. that no i mean it, it is what it is we have to separate the artist from the art right know? it's really amazing piece of work that shows merit and promise but needs a lot of improvement yes skim it So that is a double buy it for a Harley Quinn Zero, knock me over with a feather, and a double skim it for a voice in the dark, number one. Of course, we want to know what you closet psychopaths and loud and proud psychopaths thought of these <laughs> comics. So hit us over the head from behind with your opinions and tell us how you plan on killing us over at the THN forums, which you can find by clicking the forum button at twoheadednerd.com. Go there, do it now, sign up, you'll love it. After the news broke about George Zimmerman's arrest after a domestic violence call earlier this week, our good friend Matt Murdock gave us a call. It seems the justice system had failed, and it was up to Daredevil and the two-headed nerd to take the entire jury in the Trayvon Martin case back in time to pass a different verdict on the pudgy, gun-toting vigilante. He fat. So, we've rounded up every famous time-traveling device we could get our hands on, including Metron's Mobius chair, Doctor Doom's time platform, the Flash's cosmic treadmill, and... With the help of Rip Hunter, we'll be sending the whole crew back to July 13th, 2012 to remedy this miscarriage of justice. So join Matt and I in Doc Brown's DeLorean as we race back in time while reviewing 10 comics during this week's Ludicrous Speed Round. It's not too soon, right? We can make jokes like this. Ludicrous Speed, go! Ben 10, number one from IDW. I don't know a damn thing about Ben 10, and this issue really did nothing to inform me. It's all ages and definitely geared toward fans of the series, so much so that they didn't bother to explain the premise of Ben 10. Oh. But I thought that both the story and the art were completely forgettable. Normally I'd give this a leave it, but I know I'm not the target audience, so skim it. It's not poorly done, it's just... Not for you. Yeah. Superior Spider-Man Annual number one from Marvel. According to Marvel Comics, this one counted. It said so in the solicit. <laughs> so naturally, I thought something huge was going to happen here. It didn't. But we did see Doc Spidey kick the crap out of Blackout, who is sort of like a Morbius with a cowboy hat and Blackout powers, I guess. He's a Ghost Rider <laughs> villain. And the story by Chris Yost was very solid. There was fantastic art here by Javier Rodriguez. But this does not return the Marvel annual to must-buy status. It was still fun. So give it a buy it. Definitely Fun not. story, great art. Yeah, could have been just another issue of Superior Spider-Man. Scooby-Doo team-up, number one from DC. Now this is more like it. This is an all-ages book that speaks to my inner child and harkens back to the days where Scooby-Doo and the gang was just as likely to run into Sonny and Cher as they were a crabby old man pretending to be a ghost. I want to admit something. I never gave a about Scooby-Doo. You're a terrible Never person. did anything. Did you even have a childhood? Uh, this is the perfect book for parents and kids to enjoy. I don't remember. Wow. <laughs> this is the perfect book for parents and kids to enjoy together. I loved it. Buy it. 
Battlestar Galactica, Starbuck number one from Dynamite. Dynamite gives fans a secret origin of Dirk Benedict Starbuck, not Katie Sackoff. And like the other Battlestar throwback series, this one is not particularly well written or drawn. <laughs> there just wasn't really anything new or interesting here. Starbuck is an orphan discovered by young Adama who doesn't look a damn thing like young Lauren Green and grows up with a foster family while secretly trying to become a pilot and having motorcycle races with Apollo. It seems like the only actual actor that the artist referenced was Dirk Benedict for this, and I don't get it regardless. Not much fun. Leave it. Batwoman number 25 from DC. Zero Year rages on, and now it's Kate Kane's turn to jump into the story. This is also the first issue by new writer Mark Andreco. It turns who- out everyone in the DC universe has had a Gotham experience That's right, right about the time that Batman was becoming Batman. <laughs> That's right. Stupid. The, the <laughs> story is decent, but three inconsistent art teams tank Andreco's debut. I'm giving this a leave it. Ooh. But... I will pick up the next issue to see what the new creative team can do when they're not bogged down by a crossover. Yeah, this zero year is really dumb. Like, all across the board, dumb. Afterlife with Archie, number two. It still blows me away, but this is just a completely fun book. Frank Avia is just drawing his heart out here, and you can tell they're having so much fun with this. I, I reviewed this solely on the solely because Archie has the biggest balls in comics right now. I cannot believe what they continue to do with the Archie world. This is a gigantic buy it. You guys are missing out on this if you're not reading this. Go pick up Afterlife with Archie number two. Red Hood and the Outlaws number 25 from DC. Another zero year tie-in and another chance to revisit a title that I haven't been reading. James Tinian IV and Jeremy Hahn bring us the story of Jason Todd infiltrating the Red Hood gang prior to his stint as Robin. So somehow... Before he became the Red Hood, he was still the Red Hood. Just so forced and dumb. Seriously. He has a run-in with someone that I think is the Joker. Post-acid dip pre-white face. I don't know, he's all bandaged up. And for some reason, Talia al Ghul. The art is great, but there's too much going on here. It seems unnecessary to cram every single element of Jason's New 52 origin into one moment of his life. Yeah, it's like he went out to lunch and everything that turned him into the Red Hood happened while he was eating. Right. <laughs> you know? It's just... It's dumb. It's, it's just puzzling. I mean, I didn't dislike it in the moment I read it. It was fine. It didn't hold my interest. It's a leave it. XO Man of War number 19 from Valiant. This one picks up where Unity number one left off, showing Arik cleaning up after wiping the floor with the Russians that tried to expel him and his peeps from Romania. Arik is forced to fight without his armor to keep his leadership, and man, is it tough. Carrie Nord's art was so weird here. And I off, love it. off-putting, by the end of the book, I fell in love with it. But I, it was just such a shock from what I'm used to from him. It sort of reminded me of Barry Wintersmith's Solar in how bright and crazy looking it was. Yeah. But I really love this. This book is so goddamn good. Valiant is killing it. Buy it. Uncanny X-Men number 14 from Marvel. I think this series tends to get a little bogged down with the whole Cyclops is at war with the world nonsense. But... It's at its best when it takes time to examine the new characters Bendis has brought into the Marvel U. This is a great one-shot issue focusing on Benjamin, one of the new mutants to pop up in the wake of AVX, and a fun examination of the value of characters that don't have flashy powers. This really played to Bendis' strengths as a writer and has great art by Chris Bocciolo. Giving it a buy. I really like Uncanny. I've, I've been loving it. 
Star Wars Dawn of the Jedi Force War number one from Dark Horse. Dark Horse who cannot resist a real damn long title. A title that needs three <laughs> colons. Yeah. Very well written stuff here from John Ostrander who's been doing kick-ass Star Wars work at Dark Horse for years. I admit I don't know much about this corner of the Star Wars mythos so I was a little lost and it doesn't have the same feel as the Brian Wood Star Wars that I really enjoy at all. This is only for hardcore Dark Horse Star Wars fans, giving it a skimming. Well written, pretty to look at, but I really had no clue what was going on. Oh, Felger Carb! That is your ludicrous speed round, and oh, Felger Carb! Is what young Starbuck exclaims after Adama catches him and Apollo after their motorcycle race. As seen in this week's issue of Battlestar Galactica, Starbuck number one. I gotta start dropping Felger Carb. Felger Carb. <laughs> Out of the way, you Felger Carbon moron! As I'm sure you know, this week marks the 50th anniversary of the assassination of John F. Kennedy. So, it only yeah. seemed fit for us to invite our favorite ginger Jewish witch, Willow Rosenberg, to the Sanctum Sanctorum, where... She'll be communing with JFK himself to finally put to rest what really happened that day in Dallas, which Joe Patrick thought was the 23rd. And he's even going to give us some secrets of next week's comics. Trivia fact, JFK, huge Superman fan. There you go. So much so that he went to DC Comics and said, I want you to put out a comic book with me and Superman where I send Superman out in the world to tell kids they need to be more physically fit. <laughs> I knew that. <laughs> very cool. Yo, Patrick, I've got a comic you, you may be very uh, excited for. <laughs> uh. <laughs> well, that's enough of that. I am excited for Infinity Number 6 from Marvel Comics by Jonathan Hickman and Jim Chung. Here's your solicit. Bullet! All roads lead to this! Bullet! The oversized conclusion of the Marvel Summer event in November! Bullet! <laughs> it started in the summer. The heroes of Earth versus the forces of Thanos. It's like baseball. It just goes on and on. <laughs> in all seriousness, I think, I think that Infinity has been the best Marvel event in years. In a long damn time. I haven't enjoyed an event this much, probably since the Infinity Gauntlet in the 90s. Yeah, they they really have. Hickman's just killed it here. He's done really, really well with this. Hopefully he doesn't fall down. We'll see what happens in the... typically... We're in the home stretch. It's final issues where we all go, oh. Yep, yep. We're all... We're we're into it. We're into it. We're into it. And then it's Angela. Yep. God damn it. Hickman, no Angela. Matt, what are you excited for next week? I'm all geared up for Black Science number one from Image Comics. This is written by Rick Remender with art by Matteo Scalera, who I friggin' love. Yeah. Here is your solicit. Grant McKay, former member of the Anarchistic Order of Scientists, has finally done the impossible. He has deciphered black science and punched through the barriers of reality. But what lies beyond the veil was not epiphany, but chaos. Now, Grant and his team are lost, living ghosts shipwrecked on an infinite ocean of alien worlds, barreling through the long-forgotten, ancient, and unimaginable dark realms. The only way is forward. The only question is, how far are they willing to go, and how much can they endure to get home again? This sounds 
Awesome. <laughs> Do you think Rick Remender announced the conclusion of Fear Agent and then immediately just regretted it? I don't know. He even said, this is the spiritual successor sure. to Fear Agent. You know what I wish it was? I wish this was Rick Remender's Challengers of the Unknown. Ooh. Man, it would be cool. Seriously, but regardless, it's going to be a ton of fun. It's going to kick ass out by Mateo Scalera. Rick Remender is a lunatic, and this sounds like him at his craziest writing super fun comics. Everybody I, pick this up. I'm into it. The THN trade of the week is the Polar Out from the Cold hardcover written and drawn by Victor Santos. This one's from Dark Horse Comics. Here's your solicit. Ripped out of retirement by an assassination attempt, the world's most deadly spy, Black Kaiser, a heck of a name. is on a collision course with a stab-happy torture expert and a seductive but deadly redhead. I think I dated somebody that was both of those. <laughs> His mission only ends if he dies or kills everyone out to get him, and he's not in the habit of dying. This webcomic hit has been re-scripted for print. We probably didn't need to read that part. <laughs> well, we'll let him know it was a webcomic. Right. Yeah, this is a webcomic collection in the vein of Akewood and uh, Perry Bobble Fellowship and the other things that Dark Horse has done. It's a 160-page hardcover, $17.99. Probably not as funny as the other webcomics yeah. that they've done. Uh, puzzlingly, it is labeled as suitable for ages 8 and up, I which mean, I'm not sure I buy. Maybe it's a kid's story. I think maybe that's a typo. Yeah, you know. A seductive but deadly redhead and stab-happy torture expert? That does sound like an adult situation to me. <laughs> but it sounds fun. The art looks great. Victor Santos is a name you might be familiar of. He's a badass. He's from uh, Mice Templar. Familiar with. You might be familiar with his work on Mice Templar yeah. with Michael Avon Oming. I'm eager. I'm ready to pick this up. It looks fun. As always, we want to know what you're looking forward to next week, so pick your favorite dead prez and tell us. What you're excited for next week over at the THN Forums. Once a month, Joe and I like to prove that we can sit still long enough to read comics with more than 20 pages. 38 almost killed us in a voice in the dark. In a little segment we like to call Take a Look, It's in a Book. This month... We're reviewing The Fifth Beetle, the Brian Epstein story. It was a hardcover from Dark Horse Comics by Vivek J. Tiwari and Andrew Robinson with a little tiny bit of help from Kyle Baker. Yeah, a little bit of tiny help from Joe, Kyle tell him what this was about. Here's your solicit. The Fifth Beetle is the untold true story of Brian Epstein, the visionary manager who discovered and guided the Beatles from their gigs in a tiny cellar in Liverpool to unprecedented international stardom. Yet more than merely the story of the man who made the Beatles, the fifth Beatle is an uplifting, tragic, and ultimately inspirational human story about the struggle to overcome seemingly insurmountable odds. Brian Epstein was a homosexual when it was a felony to be so in the United Kingdom, Jewish at a time of rampant anti-Semitism, and from Liverpool when it was considered just a dingy port town. He helped spread the Beatles' message of love to the entire world, yet died painfully lonely at the young age of 32, consumed by staggering ambition and the endless struggles that come with it. Bomber, you and I are both huge Beatles fans. Jesus. Bomber? Really? Bomber! <laughs> I hate that. <laughs> did you know anything about this Brian Epstein guy? I, I knew the name. Because I did not. I had heard Brian Epstein's name, I mean, in you know rock and roll trivia and stuff like that, and I was aware. I mean, you knew him, right? You're a musician. All musicians know. We all know, know each other. Yeah, we all bumped into each other at one time. Or no, I knew of him, 
I knew that he was the Beatles' manager. I knew that. I'm ashamed to admit I had no idea how important he was to their fame. And this, honestly, I got super excited for this one because in seeing the fifth Beatle, the Brian Epstein story, I was like, oh, you know what? I should know more about that guy. I know he's really important, but I don't know yeah. why. <laughs> I mean, I'm ashamed to admit I didn't know that. The Beatles are probably one of the most important and formative bands in my life. They were one of the first bands that I fell in love with as a young child. And literally, nobody knows anything about them without Brian Epstein. True. I mean, I'm going to spoil, I, spoiler alert, he I, I f***ing loved it, they, they <laughs> you know, know, like, but this book did such a good job of handling the story, not necessarily from Brian's point of view, but with him as the main character and without getting too ridiculously sappy or trapped in his head, it was just sort of like you were this godlike viewer of what was going on in his life and they didn't ham it up, they didn't dress anything up, they definitely showed that he was a flawed man, but he believed so strongly in what the Beatles could do and really took a gigantic leap of faith. He was running his parents' record store, mm -hmm. which was very successful, one of the largest record stores in London. He was drugged to see this band and in one of these like weird underground clubs that used to be where they stored like subway, where they stored trains and stuff. I've played in a couple of them and they look exactly like what you see here. It's super weird. It looked like a sewer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they used to store trains in them and there are these big archways clubs and he goes to see the Beatles and just has this epiphany where he says to himself, this is going to be the most important band in the history of rock and roll. And from that moment, his life becomes the quest to make the Beatles, the most important band in rock and roll. And it consumed in him. In the world. And right. it did. It consumed him, and it probably killed him. Right. And that's an amazing story to think that this man... And obviously, it's dramatized. It's well, almost a surreal you know, movie version well, of, of the real story. And they keep having these like flashes. He keeps having these flashes of like a matador in Spain. And they keep referring to this as like this beautiful matador, you know, like coaxing the bull and about how people don't go to see him necessarily like murder the bull. They go to see the show. They right. go to see like the beauty of it all. And then the pageantry. And he tries to bring that same pageantry that he's obsessed with because he's very well kempt very orderly, very detail-oriented, and, like, beautifully dressed at all times. He tries to bring that same image to the Beatles. You will be this. You will be well-dressed. You will be gentlemen. You will carry yourself in a certain way. Right. Because it is important that you do so. And they were just like, this guy's a f***ing genius. We're just going to do whatever he says. Sure. Because <laughs> <You know? laughs> they were cussing and smoking. And, yeah. You know, like, they, they look like greasers from... Right. They look like the T-Birds from Greece. They pretty much... They went the exact opposite direction that The Who went, where The Who yeah. got more, like, angry and drug-fueled and crazy. The Beatles became the cleanest-cut, sweetest, nicest guys in the world because Brian Epstein made it that way. It, it's just such an amazing story how this man devoted so much of himself to make other people successful. And certainly he enjoyed an enormous amount of success himself as a result, but always from the sidelines, always from the right. outside looking in. And the book does a great job of reinforcing that imagery. The Beatles are driving away in a, in a limo 
and they've got their girls in there with him and Epstein is with them. Right. But he's looking at them from outside the car. Yeah, he's he's alone. You know, he's literally on the time. outside looking in. And there's the, there's this wonderful like the way they handle his loneliness is so perfect. It just in the sense that he's Jewish. He's gay. He's from Liverpool. He's an outcast in every way he could possibly be an outcast. Not to mention the fact he's not a he's not a rock and roll manager and he's forcing himself into this business now knowing nothing about it. He is a pure outcast and whenever they draw him, he is absolutely by himself. Yeah. And he has this assistant. I'm not going to go into anything and ruin anything, but this assistant that is with him the whole time her name is Moxie and she is the only person that kind of connects him to anyone else, to the rest of the world even, and he's barely connected to her right? at the same time. And it, it's just so well I will say handled. that there are some revelations about Moxie that come at the end of the book right. that absolutely floored me. Yeah, me Caught too. me off guard because I thought I was getting one type of story that obviously she's sheepishly devoted to him. Right. Because she's in love with him, but he's gay, and she knows he's gay, right. and she's the only his confidant. But it was completely, I was completely wrong. It was a different story all along, and yeah. I didn't see it until the very end. And it's sort of at that point, it becomes more than the true story of Brian Epstein to like the true story of the fable of Brian Epstein. Right. <laughs> and know? when I when I finished the book, I was reading it on the iPad because we got uh, PDFs from Dark Horse. And I was holding the iPad in my hand. I advanced to the last page of the story, and I immediately went to Google and looked up Brian Epstein. Yeah. Because I'm, I was fascinated by this entire story. It was incredible. Something that I want to mention is that at first, I kind of struggled with the writing. Uh, not that it's bad. No. It's just that it it's was... lyrical. It's Lyrical is an excellent way to put it. Yeah. But at first... You know, I guess I was kind of expecting a more straightforward narrative. Mm -hmm. And you learn early on that it is actually, it's almost like a poem or it's like a Beatles movie version of the Brian it Epstein absolutely story. Is. There's like, you can hear Beatles music playing throughout the entire book and they're constantly referencing Beatles songs. Right. And the way that everyone speaks, they're speaking like they're in a musical. And, and once I wrapped my head around the way uh, Tawary was telling the story i fell completely in love with it yeah and there's a there's a scene later on uh where apparently apparently the beatles went on a philippines tour yeah that was so comically disastrous that when they get to that part in their history kyle baker comes onto the book and tells the story as though it is the Beatles cartoon from the 60s. Yeah, he draws it He draws it like the old Beatles cartoon. And it's surreal and bonkers. I want to say it took me out of the moment while I was reading the book, but looking back on it, it made so much sense the way that they chose to do it. It was so conscious and like playing up that 60s pop Beatles that was just lunacy, you yeah. know, like total lunacy. And it was just fun. Yeah. Uh, we should talk about the art. Yeah, this the art primarily by Andrew Robinson. And it is breathtaking. Andrew Robinson uh, is the creator of Dusty Star, yeah. which is a, an indie western from some years back. He's also famous for doing a lot of cover work. You might recognize him as oh, 
the cover artist of Starman for the last half of Starman's I run. Did not know that. Yeah, from like the 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 last half of that book, I Andrew Robinson did all the in covers. my head now. Yeah, and he's an amazing artist, and the art in this book is beautiful. It is. There's a little bit about his process in the back, and it's all over the place from watercolor to pencil to pen to marker to photoshop yeah like it's literally five or ten different types of media went into making this book look so visually unique and also not distracting no it all looks like it blends together a lot of guys fall down when they decide well i want to switch to something violent here to show that this is happening and this and so it's all gonna be computer colored and like just takes you right out of the moment you this never slips each page floats perfectly into the next there are spreads that just looked like beautiful album covers yeah. that that led you from page to page that just fed into the fable of Brian Epstein so well and made it just feel magic. Robinson actually designed several posters and covers that they used in the story, but they looked like they were torn right from yeah, history. Definitely. My favorite page in the entire book is uh, is a uh, the page where Epstein is at the Cavern Club for the first time. And you're seeing the Beatles on stage. It's four panels. It's the Beatles on stage and then Epstein's reaction. The Beatles, Epstein's reaction. And as you're watching the Beatles, his face is really vibrantly fleshed out and painted. And the background slips more and more. And like the people in the background slip more and more into caricature style. Yeah. So like his face pops out from everyone else like he's having this singular experience it's gorgeous he's the only one that sees this right it's it's gorgeous and it straddles the line between slavishly devoted to realism and likeness and cartoony right it's at that perfect balance where you you look at a picture of the beatles there's a scene later on where it's a room full of famous people and you can look at it, and even though they're very cartoony and stylized, you can say, that's John, Paul, George, Ringo, yeah. Mick Jagger, yeah. Keith Richards. Like You can pick these people out. And Robinson did such an amazing job capturing what made these people visually unique and distinct. Definitely. Without being distracting like somebody that's trying way too hard to draw right. Buffy. Right. Like a Salvador La Roca, for example, yes. who was forcing you know, it's, stars it's, into his books. It, it's it's near it's a near perfect story and it's this i guarantee this is going to have eisner's all over it and it would not surprise me if this is option for a broadway musical it's already in i think in de- it's <laughs> in development <laughs> as a film i believe uh, yeah obviously i want to make a quick note we read digitally because we had these pdfs but it actually came out in oversized hardcover yeah this is one i'm gonna buy and i absolutely like i looked at it at the shop after i finished reading it and I looked at the physical copy. Absolutely buy the physical copy. Yeah. Buy this and give it to someone for Christmas. Someone you know that doesn't read comics, maybe a music nerd or something. This will blow them away. Yeah. It's heartbreaking and touching and beautiful. If you couldn't tell, this is an enormous buy it. Yeah. I can't give this a bigger buy it. This was incredible. And absolutely buy the hardcover. Don't buy it digitally. There's nothing wrong with digital, but you will lose out on something if you don't buy the hardcover. And I'm serious, guys. Buy this for your music nerd on your Christmas list. Whether they read comics or not, give it to them. They will love this. We want to know what you listeners thought of the fifth Beatles, so head to the THN forums and sock it to us. 
Next month, by popular demand, we'll be reviewing Ryan Brown's God Hates Astronauts from Image Comics. See, your opinions count! But just barely! Barely! <laughs> they barely count. Sort of, sort of break it, break it down like this. And that is it for the 50th anniversary episode of THN. If you're I feel so old. I know, right? We've been doing this forever. If you're celebrating your golden anniversary with Doctor Who and Sgt. Pepper 2, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. I'm rhyming all over the place today. This is crazy. Man. Where you can give the show a star rating, a written review, or a Stitcher thumbs up and help us to connect with other potential listeners. Thanks to all of our past donors. And if you'd like to help keep us in plutonium to fuel our flux capacitor and retain our fees for the law office of Nelson and Murdoch, you can make your donation in any amount using our time displaced little PayPal button at twoheadednerd.com. While you're there, you can find links to our Twitter feed at twoheadednerd, our email twoheadednerd at gmail.com, our YouTube channel where nothing cool happens, THN Comic Cast, our Skype handle. There's some sweet aquarium videos. <laughs> twoheadednerd and our direct ziggurat phone number 402-819-4894. Using all of those things, you can call us. And hit us up with your Ask a Nerd questions or ask us to review your self-published comic, be it printed, digital, whatever. And don't forget to sign up for the THN forums. This is your little virtual piece of the ziggurat where you can discuss this week's shows or all things comic related. Remember, follow us on Twitter and like our Facebook page if you want to get in on the question of the week discussion. And if you want to hear our answers along with your own audio responses, be sure to check out the Two-Headed Nerd Answer of the Week podcast. We've got a new intro. Yeah. It's hot. I made the beat myself. Wowzers. If you already subscribe to this show, you don't need to do a single thing, baby. It'll just magically show up in your feed every Wednesday. Next week, we step back into the comic studio to interview one of our favorite comic writers. No spoilers here, dorks. If you need more THN in your life, get over to the TwoHeadedNerd.com website and check out my wife's review of Fox's Almost Human in her Girl Meets Nerd blog and Chris Kelly's Comics on the Rocks blog, where he's rapping about Absolution Rubicon from Avatar and drinking Colonel E.H. Taylor Small Batch Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Roy Thomas, who celebrated his 73rd birthday on Friday. Word to you, Roy. Check out this body of work. The man wrote Avengers, Conan, Justice Society, and created the Invaders, the All-Star Squadron, the Vision, Infinity Incorporated, and co-created Iron Fist, and... Dude was editor-in-chief of Marvel Comics back in the 1970s. Word. Wow. That'll Roy do, Thomas. pig. <laughs> That'll do. You just called Roy Thomas a pig. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics because your retailer just might kiss you on the mouth for it. This is a two-headed nerd signing off. I gotta go. I gotta go get down and brown all around town. Gross. <laughs>